For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Orioles on the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we're going to recap the Orioles offseason in part one of our interview with Andy Koska and Danielle Allentuck of the Baltimore Banner. We'll introduce Andy and Danielle in just a moment. But first, as we like to do at the top of all of our episodes, we have a few new members to welcome to our Patreon community. And with that, I will turn it over to Bob. I actually think, oh, first of all, yes, thank you, new patrons. I think I shouted out Keel McLaughlin last week, but he officially went from free trial to official supporter. So there you go again. And another new one is listed as DB Boy, keeping it a, a mystery. But uh, thank you for, for joining up. We appreciate it. And if anyone wants to be a patron, please sign up. Even if not, join our Discord. We have a top series one opens up next uh tomorrow and we're doing a box break of that so spring training baseball cards it's all happening we'll look now back at an off season that was busy not just in terms of on-field moves but things that are going to happen off the field that are going to affect the future of the orioles and to look at that we're going to be joined by two of the best reporters in birdland andy Casca and danielle allen talk of the baltimore banner andy danielle great to have you both back on yeah thank you thanks for having us so let's start with this question, which is that this offseason was chaotic in the sense that it started out very slow before one week essentially delivered an offseason's worth of news. Uh, as we gear up for spring training, what are the most pressing questions on your minds? I think first thing that comes into my mind is probably the fourth outfielder, which might not be the sexiest question on my mind, but uh, it is, you know, kind of an open competition between Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Ryan McKenna, Sam Hilliard. Oh, the list goes on. Kyle Stowers. I mean, the list goes on and on. Tyler probably, Nevin. But, yeah, yeah, Tyler Nevin. Uh, you know, the, the list kind of goes on and on of, of who can uh, be in that group. Um, so we'll see. I mean, a lot of it's going to come down to spring training uh, competition and, and whether Jorge Mateo can play in center field uh, consistently. Mine is more on off the field stuff. It's kind of when is the sale going to be finalized and how is it going to impact the team and how soon is it going to impact this team? Um, there's still a couple steps to go. They still have to bring it to an owner's vote. Um, but I, I, I don't think things are going to be instant once the owner's vote has been approved. But I think that we're going to see a gradual change and there may be a lot of differences uh, by the end of the year versus where there are now, depending on when the sale gets approved. Yeah, that is a great point. I mean, they announced, what, seven spring training games? How different is that going to be next year once the new ownership is completely in control? Is Madison even going to be under control of the Orioles? So, yeah, so much to find out. So, uh, so interesting. Yeah. yeah, please just nuke it. I don't care. <laughs> so that, that's actually a perfect segue there to the next question we had was, with this new ownership group coming in, I think a lot of fans instantly thought, spend more, spend more, spend more. Um, you look at the list of free agents, even like Orioles are reporting to camp in like hours, and you look at the the free agent team you could put together, could probably compete in like the AL Central this year, I feel like still at this point. But 
obviously this is going to be a little bit slower process other than instant over the next couple of weeks. What are some maybe more realistic expectations I think fans can, can look forward to once this sale does go through? Yeah, and I do kind of want to point out here the two most recent teams to get sold, the Mets and the Royals, took very different approaches in how they operated after new owners. I mean, the Mets went all in, spent a bunch of money, made a bunch of trades, and it completely tanked on them. And they ended up losing a ton of money and selling off a bunch of those players, essentially. And you have the Royals, who were sold only a couple months before the Mets, and they took it very gradually. And you didn't really see them start spending money until this offseason. And I kind of feel like the Orioles may go that track. Like, I don't think we're going to see women's son come in and spend a bunch of money. I think we're going to see them kind of gradually improve, uh, especially because they have, you know, the base right now. And they don't need to go out and spend a ton of money right away when they have all these top players. So what I think we may start seeing is maybe extensions. I mean, we've started seeing Austin Hayes last week speaking openly for the first time about, you know, wanting to stay in Baltimore. I think those are sort of, Smaller extensions, maybe a smaller long-term deal would be the first step before we start seeing the bigger moves. Yeah, I mean, yeah, still, yeah. oh, go ahead, Andy. No, yeah, just to, I mean, you know, John Angelus is still the control person until the deal goes through. So it wasn't going to happen overnight, you know, when when the deal was announced as something that had been agreed to. Um, and Daniel's right. I don't think it's uh, going to overnight become a Yankees payroll. I was going to say, I think Orioles fans would be happy with the Bobby Witt type extension for one of the young guys, whether it's Adley, Gunner, Jackson, Kobe, whoever. But uh, yeah, I think I agree with you guys there. My question is also a little bit to do with ownership because it's kind of top of mind. But combine that with the Corbin Burns trade, looking at Corbin Burns specifically, do you think an ownership change could do anything to affect his chances of staying in Baltimore beyond this offseason? And was the timing of the trade like days after the ownership thing? Was that coincidental, as Michael I said, or do you think that was uh, tied in a little bit together, Andy? Yeah, I'll stick with what Michael I said. Uh, he was, um, you know, very clear that it was a coincidental uh, incident. The timing of the trade. Uh, it was a matter of. I mean, they had looked at Corbin Burns all off season, just as they had looked at so many different pitchers. You know, from uh, you know, including uh, basically every single 29 teams they talked to, Michael Elias said. So uh, I think it was more of a coincidence uh, that it happened right after the the new ownership. Uh, the new ownership came into place. But to the first part of the question of whether that helps, uh, you know, potentially signing Corbin Burns to a long term deal, I still think you know he's probably going to test the open market he said that when he was with milwaukee that he was kind of looking forward to free agency in that respect uh he's a scott boris client uh they tend to test the open market but i, I think i mean compared to what it is now when david rubenstein and, and that, that that group uh comes together you have to figure that the chances of signing a player of corbin burns's uh pedigree to a long-term deal has to be better than it than it currently was under the you know current ownership group um that latter part, of course, is is conjecture on my part, but you figure it's it's better when you when you add a group of three billionaires heading a uh, heading an ownership group taking control. I mean, he summed it up completely. Um, I agree. Um, the one advantage that the Orioles have now compared to other teams is they will have a head start on negotiating an extension. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that he'll be willing to listen earlier, but they at least have you know that advantage going into it. 
And Adley hugs don't hurt. Yes. Um, Danielle, I saw the podcast, uh, the live episode you did with Paul Mancano last week, uh, taking a look at Corbin Burns. And what struck me was that when the two of you were talking about possible salary, Garrett Cole was the first pitcher that came up. And I was conflicted at first because I'm looking at Blake Snell still sitting here as pitchers and catchers are about to report, not having a big contract yet. It does feel like Burns would be the closest thing we've seen to Garrett Cole on the free agent market since Cole signed with the Yankees before the 2020 season. So do you think that that's probably going to be the ceiling or the floor maybe of where negotiations for him would start? I mean, I would think so. I would think they'd probably even start higher than that. I mean, you think before 2020, that was what, four years ago at this point. Um, I think that they're going to aim much higher than that and kind of maybe that'd be their fallback. Um, he's definitely going to be looking for a long-term deal because who isn't nowadays? And it's going to be multi-million. Um, if the Orioles were to sign him, it definitely would be one of the biggest contracts, if not the biggest contract in team history. So I think that they're going to be asking for the moon and then they may fall back. I mean, compared to Blake Sell, I mean, we don't know what's going on there. I mean, I don't have um, any insight there, but I, I would think Corbin would be, you know, asking for everything and just seeing what people will say back. Danielle, sticking with you here and focusing on off-the-field news that almost happened but didn't this offseason, you and Hallie Miller, uh, your colleague at the Banner, confirmed a report uh, this week that the Wall Street Journal had reported recently that the Orioles were close to a deal with T. Rowe Price to sell naming rights to Candom Yards. It would have been T. Rowe Price Park at Candom Yards. You reported in the story would have been a 10-year deal, but the abrupt announcement of the ownership change seemingly has put a halt to that. Is there any telling at this point of how the new ownership group could affect naming rights, whether it's with T. Rowe Price, another sponsor, or no one at all? So everything is paused until the sale is finalized. So it doesn't mean that this deal won't be picked up again once that happens. It doesn't mean that they won't necessarily go out and try to find a sponsor of their own and negotiate their own deal. Um, but all it means is that right now that deal has currently paused or not necessarily fallen through. It's just not happening at the moment. Um, Ruben Sun's people have declined to comment on whether they would pursue something similar in the future. There's a reason uh, MLB is in a rush to get the sale finalized too, I guess. Pivoting back to on-field moves here, it's kind of wrap up a look back at the offseason and Corbin Burns specifically, just how much better does he make this rotation? When you look at how the season ended last year for the Orioles into what they're going into this year, uh, what kind of impact are we going to expect to see with Burns added to, to that starting five there? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think he's a clear number one in the rotation. Uh, you add that with, you know, knock on wood, everyone else is healthy. Uh, you don't necessarily uh, know the, you know, the health of the rest of the rotation as spring training continues and, and you know, opening day arrives, but you know, as on paper at the moment, what, what you have here is, you know, Cal Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez finished the year as two of the best pitchers in the game. Uh, you add them to this rotation with Corbin Burns at the head of it. Uh, now you have this kind of like three-headed monster that you feel great about going into a postseason series. Uh, a lot of games between then and the postseason, but you still think of just the pedigree of of a Corbin Burns with, you know, even a three-five ERA or whatever he had last year, uh, being a tiny bit. Uh, more elevated than they had in 2022. Uh, what he was able to do midway through the season, I, I mean, I, I was reading pitcher list and they and they showed how 
you know, midway through the season, he changed his slider and added, took away some miles per hour, uh, added sweep to it about, you know, just making it a little bit more of a sweeper, which is something that Orioles love, uh, a, a sweeper. So uh, that added a, a, a huge boost to his season. And that suddenly that pitch had like a 50% whiff rate compared to 38% early in the year. So, uh, you know, great work from pitcher list to, to kind of dive into that. But um, those are the things that you're, you're adding a pitcher that can can do that to his game and knows um, knows how to, you know, finagle his pitches to make them their best version of themselves. Uh, but also at the, at, at the same time, uh, he might be able to, to add a, a veteran a mind uh, to the other guys in the rotation that really haven't spent that much time in, in major leagues, all things considered, you know, Bradish, uh, Grayson, uh, Tyler Wells, uh, young Dean Kramer, they're young guys. Uh, so uh, he, he's a big boost. Um, again, health is key as, as T TJ Lighton commented, you know, you have to, you have to bank on uh, everyone being healthy in the rotation. Uh, but uh, if, if that is the case, you have to like what you, what you see from this, this O's rotation and, and, and burns of the head of it could be quite the table setter for, you know, every five days. It also, to me, like if you look back at the playoffs from last year, and of course you never would you never know what would have happened if they had Corbin last year, but you'd think he would have been their game one starter. Uh, Kyle, you know, did okay in game one, but you would have to think that Corbin may have, you know, with that much more experience he has in the career, may have been able to handle the pressure a little bit better. better. So maybe you had a better start in game one. You had Bradish game two, greats in game three. Dean Kramer, your bullpen. You, I mean, the whole series could have been different if you had that start in game one. And that's really what made them fall apart last year at the end. Do either of you, because I think most people kind of are looking at this roster and penciling in a rotation of Burns, Bradish, Grayson, Means, and Kramer. But do either of you think there's going to be any real competition for that final spot that might involve Kramer and Cole Irvin and Tyler Wells? We know Tyler Wells has shown that he's can be successful as a starter. Cole Irvin showed pretty noticeable improvements down the stretch last year, but is there going to be like a, a big time battle there? Or do we think Irvin and Wells are more likely destined for bullpen options, at least to start the year? I, I think the question for me is not necessarily, is there going to be a competition? It's where are they going to assign Wells? Um, I think that, you know, Wells is probably a stronger pitcher than Kramer, but the question for me is, is he a strong enough pitcher to last the whole season while Kramer has proved that he can do that? So I think that to me, it's more where the Orioles going to place him and how early in spring training are they going to make that decision? Yeah, that's, that's a big consideration. I, I'm, I'm on the Tyler Wells hype train, uh, have been for a while. I think his stuff is great. Um, if, you know, if he's healthy, um, he's in the rotation in my opinion. Uh, of course I don't make decisions. Uh, Michael Elias does. So, uh, it, we'll, we'll see about that, but, uh, I, I do, I do think you know the first half of Tyler Wells' season was, was phenomenal, and even when he came back in the in the bullpen, was also phenomenal. So, whichever position he lands in, whether you know whether they decide, as as Daniel points out, you know they could decide earlier in spring to say, hey, Tyler, you're going to be a phenomenal seventh inning, eighth inning guy, whatever it is, uh, you know, setup guy uh, that could work. Uh, but I, I do think his his stuff is too good, and that first half of the season was too good to to not really consider him for the fifth starter position. Um, plus, I mean, we're, we're banking on John Means uh, being fully healthy. Um, all indications are that he's, he's fully healthy, but, um, you know, things pop up. Uh, maybe he's not as stretched out as he'd like to be. Who knows? We'll, we'll see in spring. Um, so 
we, yeah, I think everyone has penciled in the rotation that, that you mentioned of, you know, uh, Burns, Bradish, Grayson, uh, John Means, and, and Dean Kramer. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so sure uh, of that rotation, um, especially the back end of it. Uh, John Means probably is in it. But uh, with that fifth spot, I mean, Dean Kramer could be a long guy too. Uh, you could have, I mean, yeah, as, as you said, Cole Irvin was uh, really improved the latter half of the season as, as a relief pitcher. So um, who knows exactly what his offseason, uh, what, what kind of strides he might have taken. But, you know, Tyler Wells, I, I think, sees himself as a starter, uh, although is 100% willing to be a reliever if they need him to be. Um, so it'll be, it, I think it'll be an open competition for at least the, the first month or so. But without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. That's another big consideration heading into spring. I'm also not discounting them pulling out a six-man rotation at times. Yeah. Because that did show to really help the health of their pitchers in the second half. And, you know, they have the options to do it now. That's a good point. I could see – I wonder if they could design Tyler Wells to be a starter in the first half and a reliever in the second half and make it a little bit of a smoother transition if they expect him to, uh, you know, tire out a little bit in the second half. But I had a follow-up to this Corbin Burns again is – even if he's only here for one year, what kind of impact do you think he could make to the young pitchers that'll be sticking around? I know Bradish and Kramer specifically have modeled their game after Corbin Burns. They've said that in the past. And Grayson, another potential ace. Maybe you know, like could they learn a, a pitch grip or just you know how to prepare themselves the right way? What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Just with with Bradish there, I mean, we, we saw him. You know, he shifted. He stood more on the third base side of the of the rubber. I think it was, you know, instead of the first base side, because he because he watched Corbin Burns do it. Uh, so and that helped him immensely in twenty twenty two. So they they will pick it up watching a guy like that every fifth day, even if they never speak to him, which they will speak to him. They'll speak to him a lot and pick his brain. But even if they never spoke to him and they watched him five times a week, uh, five times a week that'd be a lot. Uh, five, you know, <laughs> every fifth day. Uh, you know, they will, they will pick up a lot. So I think, yeah, a huge benefit. Um, you saw what Jordan Lyles and, and Kyle Gibson did, uh, for this rotation. Um, and nothing against them. They're great pitchers, phenomenal mentors. Uh, but a, a pitcher of, of Burns's caliber, um, could, you know, even, even bring more. I also think, you know, really stood out to me. I mean, Corbin was just doing a Zoom, obviously, reporters. It wasn't the same as getting to know him in a clubhouse like we will soon. But he did make it a point to say that, you know, he's at the point in his career where he really does want to help give back. So I think he's going to lean into that um, and really be a mentor to these younger guys. Very cool. All right. Uh, let's see. I have wrote this question myself. Were the Orioles smart to jump the market on relievers at the winter meetings by signing Craig Kimbrell? Before free agency basically fell asleep, and while he's not Felix Batista, because who is? How do you see him doing this year, stepping into the closer's role? I to answer the first part of the question, um, I I, I don't know how much the Orioles care about this, but I think that it at least like alleviated some of the pressure to make a major move, knowing that they had done something early on. Um, 
I mean, nobody knew how slow this free agent uh, market would have been this year. I mean, Elias even said that he's not even quite sure why it is. And it's a lot of speculation that maybe it's because, you know, the industry of RSNs right now, you know, not a lot of people knew if they could rely on that money. There, that hasn't quite been proven yet either. But I think it at least just got something on their to-do list out of the way and they could, you know, move on to focus to trying to get a starter. Yeah, they, they definitely, yeah, they checked off something big immediate you know pretty immediately uh which which helped with focusing on on a starter starting pitcher uh bob what was the what was the latter half of that question if you don't mind how do you think he's gonna do craig kimbrell i know philadelphia fans will say oh terrible signing but um do you think he can hold down the closers role and and allow some other guys to like dylan tate danny coulomb and and uni or cano and all them to just handle the more high leverage stuff yeah i mean it'll be really interesting i i wouldn't say it's a lock that he is the closer. I think, you know, Mike Elias said he's the closer. So that, that carries more weight than what I think. But uh, I wouldn't be, you know, shocked if there is any sort of, uh, you know, rumbling in, in his game in the spring. You have Yanir Cano, you have Dylan Tate, both have closing experience. You know, Yanir with like eight saves last year and, and, and Tate maybe five in 2022. Someone can fact check me on those two. But, uh, you know, so you have guys, and Danny Coulomb, probably not a closer, but you know, another high leverage arm that, that you can rely on. Uh, so I don't know if the if the pressure is necessarily there that you have to run Kate Craig Kimbrell out for every uh, last inning. Uh, that's his expectation, I'm sure. He's a future Hall of Famer, probably uh, has 417 saves in his career, and has you know proven that he has the the makeup for that kind of uh, for that kind of uh role in a, in, a, in a in a pitching staff but um yeah i mean if he kind of continues what he did in the postseason which you know was fresh on philly fans minds of i think it was four runs in in two games um uh, and a blown save you know in there so um you know was it was a difficult postseason for him but the rest of the season pitched well uh you know still saved a bunch of games um he's still a very high quality pitcher um, at a reasonable rate, you know, 13 million guaranteed if they, you know, if the O's 12 million, 2024 plus a 1 million buyout in 2025, if they don't pick up a club option. So reasonable rate, um, and probably the closer, uh, will probably be just fine. No Felix Bautista, nobody is, but, you know, I think, uh, he just gives the Orioles another late inning option, uh, beyond a Dylan Tate and a Yanir Cano that, that you can mix and match in, in those big game positions. I don't necessarily think he has to be 100% of the time a closer, but uh, definitely is, is a good arm. Andy, I'm going to disagree with you because sure. this is the Orioles we're talking about, and they spent $13 million on him. They're not going to just have him be a regular reliever. He's going to be their closer as much as possible, as many nights as they can get out of him. I mean, they didn't just pay that much money for him to pitch – every couple of days when needed, you know, I mean, to me, he's their closer until they absolutely give him a reason why he's not. Danielle, this mm -hmm. is the Rubenstein Orioles. Now you can't just assume Not yet. That. <laughs> no, it's still the Angelos Orioles until MLB votes otherwise. Fair enough. Do either of you think we could see another move, even if it's a small move between now and opening day, or do you think that, the 26-man roster is going to come from the group of players that the Orioles are carrying into Sarasota. I think we see them pick up a reliever or two along the way. I mean, they picked up Danny Coulomb like 
two nights before opening day or something like that last year. I wasn't here, so don't quite remember the timing of that one exactly. But um, I, I think that there will be some kind of rire, low ball trade that will happen later on in spring training, especially as they kind of evaluate where the bullpen is at. Um, and don't just kind of like, they could make a trade early in season. They could do more rire pickups early in season. Um, Elias has proven as something that he will is very willing to do. Um, so I, I would not be surprised if another player or two is added. I see the, 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 the comment for a trade for DJ Stewart was, was hilarious, but, um, no, I, I think Daniel's correct. You know, Michael Elias loves a, a waiver wire pickup or, um, you know, and this pitching coaching staff, I know it's, you know, a little bit, um, a little bit new of a, of a pitch, you know, pitching, uh, pitching coach and, uh, bullpen bullpen coach has been you know shuffled around a little bit, but uh, they have a track record uh, the O's of, of kind of reclamation projects. Uh, so I, I'd imagine yeah, pick up some reliever, uh, give an opportunity, and and who knows maybe you find another Yanni or Cano. Were either of you shocked to see going back to Corbin Burns thing for as we kind of wrap up part one here? Um, but were either of you shocked that the trade for the starter? maybe just shocked initially that there was a trade for a starter, but that this specific trade was for what's likely going to be a rental in Corbin Burns and not a bigger deal for maybe someone that has more controllable, like a Dylan Cease. So it seems like the White Sox, not quite sure what they seem to be doing, uh, planning for over there. But uh, any surprise there that wasn't for a Cease-like arm instead with the extra years of control? So my surprise, sorry, Andy. No, I, my surprise is really random with the trade. I was surprised he traded a draft pick. Not that he traded for Kermit Burns for a year. Not that he got one of DL Hall. It's that he was willing to part with a beloved draft pick. And obviously, they can get one back later on by offering um, him a contract later. But I just, that part really shocked me that he was willing to part with that. Maybe they bank on Jackson Holiday winning rookie of the year and, and they get a draft pick Maybe. that way. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, that, that's a good, that's a good point. The draft pick, you know, Michael Elias, uh has proven that you can really, those, you know, competitive, I guess, you know, whatever those are called, like the 34th pick, you know, of the, of the draft, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the, those, those can reap huge rewards and, you know, Gunnar was in that, in that territory. So uh, I was not really surprised at all that they traded for a starter. I mean, that was their number one goal. Um, figured it would happen one way or another. Uh, I didn't know if they were going to go for a lower level starter. Um, you know, some guy a little, you know, a tier below a Corbin Burns or a Dylan Cease, you know, just for a, a lesser price. But honestly, the, the price for Corbin Burns was reasonable. You know, if you think about it, they didn't have to give up, you know, the top five prospects or whatever it is on, on the Baseball America rankings. It, Joey Ortiz, bright future ahead of him. Um, you know, Dia Hall could be a phenomenal reliever or starter, but this is this is the kind of trade that I mean, John Mioli I think said it best. You know, our columnist, the banner. Like this is the trade that that contending teams have to make. And at a certain point, you have to kind of bite the bullet and, and give up guys that have team control and bright futures. Um, but they did it in a way that they did it responsibly in, in a way that you didn't give up a Kobe Mayo or a Samuel Basayo. Uh, Jackson Holiday, obviously, you weren't going to give up, but like those those names, you you didn't necessarily have to give up. Uh, you know, Colton Cowser could still be, you know, part you know a large part of this team in the future, and you didn't you didn't have to give him up. So same with Heston. You know, there's there's a lot of guys that, that you know could have been 
on the asking price uh, for for teams that you know you, you honestly I think Kobe Mayo could be playing third base at some point for the O's this season. So you kind of avoided a uh, a major loss of that respect. Um, DL will hurt a little bit, but um, you know they have they have other left-handers. I I wouldn't even be shocked if, if Nick Vespi with with that one seam fastball he has now uh, give a little bit of arm side run compared to his his sweep. Um, maybe he comes in as a, as a surprise southpaw um, out of the bullpen. Uh, we'll see. But um, I, I think it was it was honestly a pretty fair trade for both teams. I think both teams had to be happy with it. Yeah, it was definitely a. I, my takeaway was definitely that was a win win, especially if Ortiz and Hall pan out. It, it's a win win trade. Is I love best of luck to both of those guys. Yeah, the most interesting comments from Elias were that he said he he actually thinks they should be able to trade more draft picks, and uh, I just thought it was interesting that they can agree on the value of a draft pick, can't necessarily agree on the value of a player. That was a uh, that was pretty pretty good. Uh, we don't usually get into controversial topics here, but this just had to be broached. Andy, you tweeted something. Uh, there was a story about the new drink uh, carrier that's coming in to Camden Yards, Coke or Pepsi? Uh, neither. I don't. I don't bother with soda. Uh, I'm a ginger ale guy. If I drink any soda, so uh, I'm going to the, the coldest take I've ever heard in my life, <laughs> Danielle. Uh, definitely Coke. Diet Coke specifically. Diet Dr. Pepper if they have it. Um, a little inside baseball for you guys. Uh, the Rangers Stadium, best uh, stadium soda machine. These are the things I would not be able to tell you. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've never tried the soda machine at Ranger Stadium. So Just They have Diet Dr. Ranger. Pepper with flavors in it. it. It's a wonderful time. I will fly down to go watch a game there to get the flavor Dr. Pepper. So I'm sold. <laughs> We'll wrap this part up here with this, which is, was there a move that you expected or thought that the Orioles should have made this offseason that they didn't? So this is exactly what I thought they were going to do, that they were going to sign a closer and they were going to trade for a pitcher. Um, I think that they could have, you know, gone out and got another bat. Maybe they could have, you know, done a couple other smaller wire pickups to help with the bullpen, but I still do believe those are coming. But at the bare minimum, this is what the Orioles needed, and that's what they did. So I, I didn't expect much else this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree. It's the They didn't need to overhaul, you know, using using favorite phrases of Michael Elias. Uh, they needed to augment the roster, not overhaul it. Uh, that's what they did. You know, they, they replaced uh the best way they could felix bautista and then added a, a frontline starter uh so check both boxes and um you know kind of kind of move on from there and think that the, your players will either meet what they did in 2023 or, or surpass those levels you know westberg might be even better than he was in 23 and then you just have to hope gunner henderson does the same thing he did in 23 except for the slow start but basically the same thing um you know and, and you should be in a pretty good shape by the end of it We'll take a deeper dive into that in part two of our interview with Andy and Danielle, which will be available later this week. For those of you who are listening to this on our podcast feed, if you're watching live, just stay on the stream because we're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Orioles on the Verge is part of the Believe Podcast Network. You can find us on Facebook, Threads, Instagram, X, TikTok, and at Substack at OriolesOnTheVerge.substack.com. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. 
You've been listening to Orioles on the Verge. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.